The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and visual teachings, visit mountainpark.org. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Uh, so glad that you're here. My name is Alan. Hey, very uh, excited about the uh, progress of uh, your new church there on the corner of Fry and 48th. We were pouring more foundation yesterday, and in, in the upcoming weeks, they're going to start to actually go vertical. They're going to start to get the third dimension and put walls up, so we'll keep you informed of all that. As you're driving by, you'll, hopefully you'll be able to see a little bit more happening there. Also very excited this week because our new neighbor to the north, which is Horizon School, they, uh, the, the kids there, they, they created this beautiful banner saying thank you. Uh, to us for already being a good neighbor to them. It's adorable, and uh, we will have more information on that and bring the banner into the lobby uh, next week, uh, etc. Um, but that is uh, it's very important to us because we want to be a good neighbor. We very much want, even before we get there, we, we want to be a good neighbor there. Um, uh, we, we, want the, we want the neighborhood to be better because we're there. We want the neighborhood to be excited about us coming uh, into that. That's why that stuff is, is important. So we're thrilled with our uh, relationship with Horizon and how that's starting. Which leads me to the, my question here this morning. Are Christians better than non-Christians? Well, that's an interesting question. Somebody, you might not even like the question. Now, I'm not talking about Christians who think they're better than non-Christians, and then they bring arrogance into that. That's ugly. It's repulsive. It has nothing to do with what Jesus modeled for us. What I'm talking about is, is it, generally speaking, are Christians better than Non-Christians, is there a, uh, uh, do people like having a neighbor as a Christian more than having a neighbor who's not a Christian? Do people prefer to do business with Christians than non-Christians? Do servers at restaurants like to have a table, prefer to have a table uh, filled with people who are uh, just ordering drinks like there's no tomorrow, or the Christian table where they all hold hands and then it's awkward when they're trying to hand out the salads at the beginning? So, now I know we all have anecdotal examples that say, you know what, I would actually rather spend time with this fun, kind, non-Christian that I know at work in the cubicle beside me than that grumpy, grumpy Christian over there. And so that can be kind of confusing. There's anecdotal, uh, you know, examples, but... In general, are Christians better than non-Christians? We're going to take a look at that, and as we do, hopefully there continues to be grace poured over this place. Would you, uh, would you uh, bow your heads with me as we pray? Father in heaven, um, I, I am thankful for your grace. I'm thankful that we can, we can come and we can talk freely about you. We can engage with one another. We can, um, we can speak the truth and love here in the safety of this place. Father, I pray that uh, you would uh, challenge us, stir us, motivate us, um, not to compare ourselves with, with one another, but, but to, to be more like your son, Jesus. That's the model that, that, that we have. And so just help us to, to take one step more like Christ here today, this week, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. 
Well, I want to just uh, give you the context for uh, the conversation here this morning in the event that you are new or just visiting, that this year we're walking through uh, what we're calling foundation, connected with our new building that we're building, but, all, but more important than that, we've identified 40 foundational passages of Scripture to help us understand the overall story of God. And where we are in that story so far is in uh, the section called the church. It's the, the growth and development and the screw-ups of the church over the past 2,000 years. Last week, we looked at the 16th century and the Protestant Reformation and how Luther and the Reformers challenged the idea that we are not saved by what we do or what we buy or what we own, having to do with the indulgences. We're not saved by that. We are saved by grace alone. We looked at Romans chapter 3. that says we are justified freely by His grace. That was the driver last week. This week, we're looking once again during the Reformation uh, at, uh, in the 16th century and looking at another issue that was very important to the Reformers, the issue of do we have direct access to God? If we're a follower of Christ, do we have direct access to God or do we need to go through a priest, through a professional Christian? Now, whether you have a Catholic background or not, you're likely familiar with the concept of the priestly confessional. You're likely, you know, you've seen that in all sorts of TV and movies, and you go into the, the box, and, and you're next, and you say, okay, uh, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. And then uh, the priest says, how long has it been since your last confession? And you say, 10 years. And you say, okay, let's get comfortable. This is going to take a while. And you, you know how that whole thing all flows and works. Now, that, that really flows out of our Old Testament. Deep in the Old Testament, it was, it was established that there were priests and there were prophets, Prophets spoke to the people on behalf of God. So God would have a message, it would go through a prophet, and then it would, uh, the prophet would speak to the people. Priests spoke to God on behalf of the people. So the role of the priest, and this was a, a very special role, you had to be um, selected to be a priest as part of the, the journey. It was part of a cert certain family that would flow to be the priests in the Jewish communities. You couldn't just take a few classes and then select that to be your vocation, your, your future job. You were, uh, it was a very special calling to be a priest, and the role of the priest was to speak to God on behalf of the people. In the temple in Jerusalem, there was a very special and sacred room in the middle called the Holy of Holies. So the temple is holy, but this is the Holy of Holies. It is, it is the place um, uh, uh, in the middle. It is separated from the rest of the temple by a large curtain. And only a priest could ever go into the Holy of Holies. Regular people, it doesn't matter how deep your faith is, etc. Regular people could not go into the Holy of Holies. And, the, and a priest, only one priest per year could go into the Holy of Holies. You had to be selected among the priests to be the one at that one time of year called the Day of Atonement. Uh, Yom Kippur is the day that the one selected priest could go into the Holy of Holies and represent the people and, and offer a, 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 a sacrifice 
for the sins of the people. Legend has it, this is not scripture, it's legend over the past centuries, but legend has it that because only the priest could go into the Holy of Holies, that they would tie a rope around his ankle so that in the event that God struck him down in the Holy of Holies, he didn't do it right, Uh, you know, maybe God asked him a question, he's, you know, what's your favorite color? Blue, no, red, and he messed it up somehow. That, that if he was struck down dead there in that moment, or if he had a heart attack, that, that the rope around his ankle, that they would be able to pull him out uh, because nobody else could go into the Holy of Holies. Now, that's, you, can you imagine being that person just tugging every once in a while? Jimmy, you okay? You okay? You still in there? You know, can you imagine having that role? But, uh, but that's a legend. That's this, this Holy of Holies piece. Now, the foundational verse that we're looking at today blows this whole thing up. It just, it just shatters the whole thing. It's a verse that we find in 1 Peter. Peter is one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. And he is one of the leaders of the church. And he writes a couple letters that are deep in our New Testament. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says this, But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Peter says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Essentially what he's saying here is that this new Christian journey is saying, You are a priest if you're a follower of Christ. You have access to the Holy of Holies. Matthew's version of the story of Jesus. The New Testament starts with with the book of Matthew. And in Matthew's version of that, immediately after Christ dies on the cross, the very first thing Matthew says is that the curtain separating the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple is torn in two from top to bottom. That's the first thing that's mentioned in Matthew's version of the story of the death of Jesus. That this curtain is torn down. That, it, that those who are followers of Christ now have access to the Holy of Holies. Can walk into the Holy of Holies. Could you imagine how offensive that would be to a Jewish person? The, the reality of that, even the, the thought, the concept of that, Could you imagine how offensive that would be? Only the priests, one, once a year, could go into that. And now the writers of the New Testament are saying, the curtain is torn. You can walk in. Could you imagine? It'd be like inviting someone over to your house for dinner, and they're brand new. You don't know them that well. And they just go down the hall into your bedroom, and they just go into your closet and just, that's your holy of holies, right? I mean, that's the place. And you just kind of, hmm, that's, that's pretty interesting. Hmm, yeah. And you just kind of checked out. Could you imagine that? It would be exactly like that, except a billion times more offensive. I mean, just kind of take that and then explode the whole thing. This is, this is, this is a, a, a very big deal for the Jewish audience that Peter is writing to. That, that what Peter is saying was a very tough pill for the Jewish people to swallow. This idea that, that their, their heritage as the chosen people of God, that, that privilege that they have 
as, as God's chosen people is very important to them. And what Peter is saying here is that, that there's now equal footing, that, that all who are followers of Christ now have access to God, that you are on the same level as those Gentiles, as the non-Jewish people. And so, so then, it, then the Jewish people had to go, even if they believed, they had to wrestle with, okay, am I less special now? Okay, um, let, me, let me give you a little example here. Um, who, who wants $20? You have one over there? Okay. Here's $20. There we go. So glad you came to church today, right? Uh, so, so there's $20. Now, do you feel special having yeah. been the one who raised your hand? You're kind of going, man, it's all good, right? All right. Now, if I had said uh, everyone here in the room gets $20. Yeah, Dad, no, it's hers. You're taking it away from her. If I had said everyone in the room gets $20, would you feel less special? You would feel less special? Why? Okay, so if it was just you, you'd feel special, but if everyone got it, you would feel less special. That's how the Jewish people felt. In fact, let's see if it would change your, change your mind. Ushers, come on, let's come on down. No, that, that's, that's, uh, we can't afford that kind of special. We, so so uh, anyway, that's a good illustration, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Hopefully that's it. I'm just, I'm just, yeah, I'm just having fun. Okay, so uh, buy a Lego or something. Okay, so it's this whole thing of, of this is what I got. I feel special. This is what I have access to. But if everybody has it, does that take away the the specialness? And so the the Jewish people they they had to they had to wrestle with this. They had to juggle with with this whole thing. And Peter says, No, I'm not taking away your specialness. That for you, if you're a priest in the Jewish faith, if you're a Jewish person, part of the, the, the chosen people, I'm not taking that away. God has expanded it to other people and invited others into that. You are a royal priesthood. You are the, God's special possession. And just because more people have that doesn't mean your specialness is taken away. It's still 20 bucks. Okay, let's now move into the 16th century. So that's, that was the significance of, of Peter's writing at that time. So if we move into the 16th century now, and for some reason, the priests had grown to have a special status. They, they, they had grown to be very special. They were the ones, and the only ones, who could interpret Scripture. They're the ones who would hear from God, who would talk to God. They are the mediators between people, between followers of Christ and God. And Luther and the other reformers, they were saying, no, no. This, the, the, the curtain has been torn from top to bottom. That, uh, you know, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says that there's one God and one mediator between us and God. And that is Jesus Christ. That, that is it. We don't need another person. We don't need a professional Christian in order to have direct access to God. This became known as part of the Protestant Reformation as the priesthood, 
of all believers. It's this, it's this theology that developed out of that, this reminder of what Scripture says that, that is driven into 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, the priesthood of all believers, that all have equal access to God. All are priests. All can walk into the Holy of Holies. So Luther was, was, was uh, and company were leading something that was significantly different. In fact, they introduced something radical into the church that had never been there before, something called democracy. It's interesting that this, this flowed as part of the Protestant Reformation, flowed as, as a different way for people to think about leadership. It actually had a major influence on the world in terms of how nations would select their leaders. And so flowing out of the Protestant Reformation is this, is this idea that, that, that the people are to decide who is their spiritual leader, that the priests and pastors, the professional Christians, they're not untouchable. They should be, that the people should decide who is going to be our, our leader, who's going to be our pastor, and how long should that pastor stay there? Should, should we not want that pastor to be there anymore? Eleven years ago, I was voted in. Eleven years ago, I was voted in with a 97% positive rating. The church was incredibly desperate at the time. Um, <laughs> Very optimistic. My numbers have gone way down since then. The polls have shown. But uh, I, have, I have not yet been voted off the island. But I could be. I mean, it, it's the, the, way the, 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 way, the way this works is that we are in this together. That this is not my church. This is our church. And you've invited me to have the honor of having the role that I have here in this church. It's our church, it's our new building, it's our finances, it's our tower or not tower, it's our story. It's our story. Now, before I move on, there's, there's one more thing um, that I want to address, because I, I don't think anymore we're diving into the church history story uh, anymore, and some of you are going, whew, done with that. But, uh, but I just want to be real clear, as we look at the, the beautiful and the ugly parts of the story of the church, I, 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 it would be a mistake for you to hear me as Catholic bashing. That is in no way what I'm talking about here because the story that I'm looking at, the story of the church, is not the story of the Catholic church. That's the story of our church. That's not their story. That's our story. Because, because up until that point, that was the story. That was the Christian church. And then the Protestant Reformation, it, it formed the Protestant churches. It also transformed the Catholic churches as well. And so this, this is all part of the same story. This isn't the Catholic story. Uh, 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 this isn't the story of the Catholic church. This is the story of the church. I just want to be clear on that. Okay, so we've looked at the... Um, the, uh, the impact of this verse on the Jewish community when it was originally written. And then we've looked at the importance of this verse, 1 Peter 2, 9, um, during the Reformation. But now, let's, let's come to the point where today. How, how does it have relevance for us today here in this place? And for some of you are thinking, well, finally, finally we're getting to that part. I mean, we, got, we have to get to that part. Looking at history is important. We kind of take shape, and it bring, but it has to bring us to a place of, okay, okay, so what does that mean? How does that uh, have an impact? How does that shape 
our journey here today. What role do you think you have here in this community? What role do you feel you have here in this community? Unless you're just visiting from out of town, and if you are, fantastic, we're so glad you're here. But unless you're just visiting and, and, and coming through, you are part of this com community. No matter how many times you attend church, you're part of this community. What role do you think you have? Are you one of three things? Are you a sinner, a citizen, or a saint? Are you a sinner? So before I kind of explain what those are, which one pops up for you? Which do you think or feel that you are? Are you, are you a sinner in the sense of, uh, th this is who I am. This identifies me. And, and I, I can't keep up with, the, with what appears to be the people around me. That they're in a different league than I am, and, and, I, and I'm, uh, I, I don't belong. That's how I'm right now defining the sinner piece. Or would you identify yourself as a citizen saying, well, I understand that I belong, I'm, I'm a part of this community, I'm a part of this group, but I'm nothing special. I don't, uh, many people don't know my name, etc. I'm, I'm a citizen, I'm part of it, and I like being part of it, but, uh, but that's where it stops. Or, do you feel like, do you think as you sit in there, I'm a saint? Uh, that's kind of an interesting question. A saint means, I understand I belong, and I have a significant role to play. I am special. I matter here as a part of this community. Would you see yourself as a sinner, a citizen, or a saint? Paul says you're a saint. Paul says you're a saint. Paul writes many of the letters in our New Testament, and he doesn't start off by saying, you sinners. He says, to the saints in Rome, to the saints in Philippi, to the saints in Ephesus, and so it's this, this uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 is great news for those who believe that they are uh, sinners and, uh, and citizens. That no, you are saints. You are an essential part of this journey, an essential part of this story, a central part of this church. That's why here we, we want to model that here as a church. Last week we celebrated communion together and the people who served the, the bread and the, the cup, the people who serve the elements of, of communion are you. They're leaders within the church. They're volunteers within the church. They're, they're priests among us because we have the priesthood of all believers. So the, those are the people who went down the aisles and distributed the communion elements. When we do baptism here, it's not the, the, the professional Christians who do the baptisms. If I'm invited into that, I love that. It's an honor for me. But you get to baptize your friends or your spouse or your kids. One of our, my favorite stories sometimes is when a, a couple uh, comes to be followers of Christ and then uh, one of them, so he will be baptized first and then he will get up soaking wet, turn around and then baptize his wife. There wasn't a, a college degree that happened in between that moment. It's right there in the moment. You are, you are, you are um, uh, uh, it's the priesthood of all believers. That's the role that you play. You are a saint. You are a priest. You, have, you can walk right into the Holy of Holies. You can. Peter says here in this verse, he says that you are a holy nation. A holy nation. Now, what, what nationality do you 
instantly connect with? I mean, is it, do you identify more as an, as, in terms of your American nationality or whatever your, your, your nationality is, or your citizenship as part of the kingdom of God? This whole idea of being a holy nation means that with the people in Rocky Point, we have a trip that we're having a meeting for right after this celebration, and you can be a part of that. That trip where we go down to Rocky Point and we connect with other believers there and we build homes for those who are less fortunate, you and those people in Rocky Point, you are one nation together. You're a holy nation together. The people in our sister church in El Progreso, Honduras, you are one nation with those people. The beautiful people that our, that our ambassadors got to go and spend time with in India and Sri Lanka, the, those, those, uh, the village and the believers who are coming into that, those who are followers of Christ, we are one nation with, with those people. One nation. That's our nationality. And that might give some of you great comfort after the presidential debates this week, but that's... That's beside the point. Okay, sorry. Uh, let, me, let me get back to the, uh, to the original question. Are Christians better than non-Christians? Are saints better than sinners? Billy Joel says no. He, he'd rather laugh with the sinners and cry with the saints because the sinners are much more fun. Yeah, some of you are saying that with me. But uh, Peter says Declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Light is better than darkness. It just is. Freedom is better than slavery. The ways of Christ, to, to walk out humbly, to be a servant, to put others before yourself, to love. The ways of Christ are better than anything else flat out, regardless of, of what your faith journey is, the ways of Christ are better than anything else, any other example, anything else. See, the question is not so much, are Christians better than non-Christians? I'm kind of spinning this for you a little bit, because the question really is, is the Christian version of you better than the non-Christian version of you. It's not about comparing ourselves to one another. It's about seeing if there's a difference in your life because of Christ. Is the Christian version of you better than the non-Christian version of you? I, I grew up, I was a rotten kid. I, I didn't have a, a, a Christian home that I, that I brought up in, so I had, I had way too much freedom, and I got into uh, alcohol, I grew up in Canada where the drinking age was 18, and because of our national pride for beer, you could get beer anywhere at 13 or 14. I mean, it was real easy. It was just a different kind of, it was just a different world, different era, different time and all that. Um, I was into drug. Um, I don't say drugs because I only did it once. Um, uh, I did inhale, but um, uh, I was into uh, theft and vandalism. And uh, I shared this in the first uh, celebration, and it was between services that, that I realized that a student union is canceled. And so that's when I learned that all my kids were coming into the room this morning. And, uh, and so I pulled them aside one at a time and said, Daddy's going to share something that uh, we haven't really talked about that much. So we, you know, we've got some really interesting conversations coming up ahead of us. But, but, um, but I, I had... I didn't have good boundaries. My, my boundaries were limited to 
my boundaries were not about morality. My boundaries were not about how I was hurting other people. My boundaries were limited to what I could get away with. I mean, what, what I, whether I would get caught or not. And we all know the trajectory of that. You, you live a life like that, eventually you're going to get caught and the stakes get higher and the repercussions get stronger. And so that was the trajectory that I was on. And so let me just say with beyond a shadow of a doubt, the Christian version of me, as screwed up as I am, is way better than the non-Christian version of me. Without a doubt. And so that's what I invite you to think about. Whether you became a Christian at one or you became a Christian last week, it's this journey of, is the Christian version of you better than the non-Christian version of you? Because it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be. That's what this is all about, that Peter is saying, you, you're a different person. You're a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a special possession, a holy nation, Peter says. We're supposed to be different. We did a whole year some years back called noticeably different. That's what holiness means, that we would be different. We would stand out because of our faith. We're supposed to treat people differently. We're supposed to think about people in other countries differently. We're supposed to think about the poor differently. We're supposed to honor our spouses differently. We're supposed to love and connect with our kids and pour into them differently. We're supposed to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, making us more like Jesus Christ. And Christ is better. Hands down, light is better than darkness. So Peter says, declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That that. That that's, that's, a, that's what worship is all about. This should be our worship motivator. The thing that says, okay, why do we do that worship thing? This is it. This is the motivation for us to connect with God through worship. This is the worship motivator. I mean, why do we gather here in this place and we, we stand and, and sing songs? And for some of us, that's kind of odd. I mean, nowhere else in our culture, in our, in our world... Or we said, hey, let's stand and we're going to sing songs together. Maybe you did that when you are kids, but we don't do that as adults except for one place at a sporting event. <laughs> at a sporting event. And they say at the beginning, would you stand? Because we, out of respect for the flag, for the history, for the story, for the nation, we are going to sing this song. Absolutely. And we, we absolutely get into that. That is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And similarly, Peter says, declare the praises of him who brought you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So when we worship, we stand and we declare that. We stand and we sing about that. We, we, and so if there hasn't been a difference in your life, if there hasn't been something better in your life because of Jesus then it would make sense that the worship time is not connecting for you. It would make sense because you're, you're, there's, no, there's nothing connected to those words on the screen. If it said on the screen, God is awesome, 
but you haven't seen God be awesome in your life yet, then it would make sense that that song or that experience that we call worship is not connecting. But if it has been part of your story, if you're different because of Jesus, then that should be a worship motivator. That's what should make us go, okay, I want to declare the praises of the one who did that in my life. We're going to close out our time here today. I, I'm, I'm finishing a little earlier than normal, so don't get all excited that you're getting out early, okay? I'm finishing a little earlier than normal because the band, yeah, just relax. So the band is going to come out, and we're going to do a couple songs together. The hope is that this would be an opportunity for us to respond to this idea of declaring the praises of the one who brought me from there to here. And during this time of worship, I invite you to think about the person you used to be. Think about how, how there's, there's been a, a noticeable difference in terms of how you, you, you understand your own identity. There's a noticeable difference for you in terms of how you treat other people. There's a noticeable difference for you in your relationships. There's a noticeable difference for you uh, in terms of your thoughts of the future. That, that, that's what the, that's, I want this to be a worship motivator experience for us. That you would understand you're not just a sinner. You're not just a citizen who, who barely belongs. You are a priest. You're a saint. You have access to the intimacy of the holy of holies. And we can do that when we worship together. Would you stand? I want to pray with you and then we're going to sing together. Father in heaven, we gather here in this place as if we are in the very holy of holies. God, what an honor it is that you've invited us into that intimacy with you. So Father, I pray in these, in these next few moments that we would um, see ourselves as, as a royal priesthood, that, that it would not be at all about arrogance, but it would be absolutely about thankfulness for what you've done in our lives. God, would you help us to, to, um, to be thankful as we declare the praises of you who brought us out of darkness into the wonderful light? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.